you can go ahead and have a seat. Man, for that's, that's why we've gathered, is the name of Jesus. Almost two years ago, we started gathering out of a living room at, at our house. My wife and I, we moved here almost three years ago, and two years ago, we began to just invite people into our living room to begin to share a vision of what a church could look like when strangers become friends and friends become family. And almost two years ago, we began inviting people into our living room to share about the type of church we wanted to see in this community. And as we begin to pray and seek God together through a series of just vision nights, through a series of just conversations and praying and asking, what could a church look like who wants to live out Psalm 22, a church that's committed for generations to come to proclaim the name of the Lord and what He has done. And out of that just emerged a group of people who said, we are a community of everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. And some of you in this room were a part of those initial gatherings. And some of you have gone from strangers to neighbors to now family. And that's what Generations Church is about. It is about being everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. Now, if you've been around any kind of like nonprofit or business world, you know that, that an organization is supposed to have like this little pithy like mission and vision, something short and that you can share. But what, what, God was, what we sense God doing in the group that was forming together is that we wanted to be rather descriptive rather than prescriptive. We wanted to, to describe to the watching world who we are and what we were about rather than have just some short little pithy statement. And so we are a community, if I haven't said it enough already, and hopefully you've experienced this this morning, that we are a community of everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. That is our focus that is who we are. So what that means is no matter what background you come from, no what, what walk of life, who you are, what you've done, you're welcome and wanted in God's family. When you feel down and out, when you feel like you're on the mountaintop and everything is going right, we want you and we welcome you into God's family. The challenge is, in the midst of a hostile world, though, and a world that wants to, to take our attention and distract us on a million different things, how do we maintain our focus as a church? How does a young church, just getting ready to celebrate our first kind of birthday of weekly public gatherings coming up next week, how do we maintain our focus? We're going to look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, go ahead and flip it kind of to the back and start flipping and look around there. The words will also be on our screen to guide you in our time this morning. But what we want to do is we want to ask God to speak to us through His 
word. So let me pray for us. God, right now, we are here, we're gathered, we're sitting at tables, we're, we're sitting with our family. We're sitting in a room with people who, maybe some we know and maybe some we don't know, but right now, God, we need to hear from you. You are here. You want to speak to us. You've got a word for us, Lord, so allow us to hear that. Whether we're young or we're old, whether we feel close to you or feel far from you, God, help us hear you this morning. Thank you for your love and for your grace. May the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. More of you, less of me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First Thessalonians is a book of the Bible where this guy Paul writes a letter to a church in Thessalonica. Now what you need to know about the backstory on this letter is that Paul, he helps start this church community that he is writing to. But he had to quickly leave the city that after he started the church. He was run off by a mob of angry and hostile people to the good news of Jesus as king. So in the midst of our world, we can see how that message, even today, would be threatening to some when we say that Jesus is king, that he is Lord, that he is the boss, he is in charge, and we should orient our whole life around him. That, put, that pushes up against the narrative and the selfishness that exists in our world. And so Paul, as he began to share this good news and the implications of it to these people, he was run off. And then these teachers and these, these people that ran him off basically say, yeah, Paul was a charlatan. He was a fool. He was a con man. That's why he had to leave so quickly. He wasn't really about what he was about. And that brings us to our passage today. It's Paul writing back to this group of people, and he explains why the truth of what he did was, one, so powerful, so effective, and also how the people could disbelieve the divisiveness and the hostility that was being tossed at him and actually believe the power of the gospel and disbelieve those false teachers. So that's where we find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our visit was with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and we were treated outrageously in Philippi, he was also ran out of Philippi, beaten there. As you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, so we speak not pleasing men, but rather God, who examines our hearts. For we never use flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives, one of the charges against Paul. For it is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you. As a nursing mother nurtures her own children, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day, so that we would not burden any of you. 
We preach God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devotely, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, implored each one of you, walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I love the language in that passage. It's family language. Did you pick up on some of the imagery that, that Paul was describing? Brothers, sisters. He was like, he's like a mother. He's like a, a father. I, I love that family language, and it's so evident. That's why in our vision, we say we are the family of God at Generations Church. And we want to see that family expanded for generations to come, which is why when we gather in a space like this, I don't mind the cries of children. I don't, I don't mind sometimes the, the, the distraction that kids bring because we exist for generations to come to know the name of the Lord. That is why we, we are here, to see the faith pass on from mothers and fathers, from parents, from guardians, down to kids and their kids to pass that on to kids. And what we see in Paul's conduct is he describes it in family language. And these false teachers try to confuse the church about the mission and motive of Paul. And Paul offers up this defense. It's not in what is said, but by what's lived. Paul tried to make the good news of Jesus as attractive as possible, but he never changed its central focus. He never compromised issues like God's character, our need, God's the cross, the resurrection, and new life in Jesus' return. Those were paramount to his message. Who God is and what he was like. Why do we need rescue and redemption in the midst of this fallen and broken world? And how we have a hope in Jesus that transcends present circumstances. That as we look at our backgrounds and experiences and our differences, that we can come together united around Jesus. Now, I always try to think of something to kind of help us get the picture of, of what this looks like. And just as Paul tried to give these Thessalonian believers a picture of what it looked like, I think sometimes life is like a camera. Now, stay with me for a moment. So, yeah, exactly. Stay with me for a moment. So, so life is like a camera. So, and you know those big fancy ones. Now we got them all on our phones and you know, they're really good. But I think of like those, those really nice expensive cameras with the, the big lenses. That sometimes when we're trying to figure out what life looks like is we have to, we have to like take a picture and a snapshot and we try to see something and what needs to be actualized. And so we live life like we're looking through a camera and we're trying to see something. The challenge is that some of us don't realize that the lens cap is on the lens. And so the only thing that we try to create is something that's in our head because we actually can't see out the other side. We can't see the picture that we're trying to, trying to make our life like. And unless someone comes along and says, hey, the lens cap on your camera's on there. You need to take that off. The only thing that we will be able to create is what's, again, in our mind's eye. And so... For us to leave it on, the only picture of what we see is what we create. But once it's off, we must continually adjust our lens until God comes into focus. And that's why together we want to be God's family. We want to point people to Jesus. The church needs to maintain its focus 
on Jesus. So that as we go out into our everyday lives, that as people see us, we help them adjust that lens so that they get a little bit clearer picture of Jesus. When people look at you and they begin to rotate that camera, do they see a little bit better picture of Jesus? Now we understand that you're not going to be perfect. That's why that's, it's progress over perfection, one of our values. If you miss one of our value series, go back and listen to those series because we talked about how our values help us begin to be a little bit better of a picture of Jesus in our everyday life. So we must continually adjust our lens until God comes into focus for us and help others adjust their lens. And how Paul does this is he points to his own conduct as proof. His claim is that the Thessalonians know the veracity and power of the gospel because of how he conducted himself. He did not let past hurt affect his present conduct. That's what he says, and back, go back in verse 2. He was, he's run out of Philippi. He was even run out of Thessalonica, but he let his past hurt affect his present conduct. And Paul could tell others to look at his life because of the power of Jesus was real in his life. So you don't have to hide you're hurt. You don't have to hide your pain. You don't have to pretend like you're something that you're not. But you can be open and honest. And as people look at your life, and as they see you readjust your focus on Jesus, they will be able to see the power of God in your life. And that's why Paul uses this imagery. He says, we're like a nursing mother. I was, I was gentle. I wasn't dragging them around. As a nurse nurtures her own children. He's like an exhorting father. He encouraged, he comforted, he employed each one of you to live worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. But what I, what I, what I think the central verse of this passage is verse 8 though. Because as he uses this imagery, as he paints this picture, what he's ultimately describing is what he says in verse 8. He says, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. See, the Christian life, following Jesus, is about going each and every day, as we readjust our focus, is daily leveraging where you live, work, and play in a way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family. Let me say that again. Daily leveraging where you live, work, and play in a way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. And the beautiful thing about it, yeah, so, I mean, that's celebrate. That's what we celebrate. Yeah. Like, that's a good thing because some of you have experienced that here. And that the power of the gospel is that maybe a few months ago or a few weeks ago, we were strangers. But as you begin getting connected, not just here on Sunday, but throughout the week as we begin to get connected, you go from strangers to friends and from friends to family. And now I, I shared that there's three aspects of where we want to see this come to reality. Where we live, work, and play. See, we tend to segment our life. We tend to compartmentalize our life. So we have kind of our home, where we live, we do what we do. We have our workplace, you know, the place of business. And even if you, you may not have a job, but you have this, this mindset when you know it's like it's time to get to work. You have, you have that work, and then you have play. So that, that leisure aspect. Whether or not you think of it in those terms, 
usually you have segments of your life that you say, okay, this is when I do this, this is when I do this, and this is when I do this. And the challenge is, is to see those segments of our life go from disconnected places where we have different priorities to see them all come together. And we do that when we share the gospel and our lives. So let's look at that, where we live. It's being open, being hospitable, inviting someone into your home so that they can see you're the same person in public that you are in private. So that they can see that there's a level of consistency. Or maybe you need to readjust your focus because there's actually a level of inconsistency between what you are in public and what you are in private. And see, as we begin to follow Jesus and look to his character and priorities, we begin to open our homes, to invite people in. Now, I know as I, as I challenge you to do that, to say, hey, why don't you have someone over for dinner? Why don't you look at someone who you don't know, who you may is a little bit of a stranger, and, and, and help them become a friend by inviting them in? You may, you may feel challenged by that. You may, you may feel the excuses start to flow. My house isn't clean. I don't know how to cook. Man, what about my pets? Maybe my space isn't big enough. What will they think? And all these excuses begin to fly. But what we do is when we allow those excuses to create barriers, we actually rob people of experiencing the power of the gospel in our lives. See, you actually bless people and help people experience the power of God in your life when those barriers come down. See, Jesus dines with people so that he can get close enough and I, I think of a few weeks ago when I had a couple guys over to my house to play poker. And we can just talk about life. And we can talk about what it looks like to exist in this chaotic world. What it looks like to, to get to know to one another. And we, get a, we eventually got to a conversation where it's like, and what does it look like for Jesus to be healer and helper? And that's what Jesus wants to do in your life as you connect with others. He wants to tangibly express his power through you when you're in proximity to others around a table. Now, again, I know some of you feel very challenged and personally attacked by me saying you should invite people over for dinner. But let me put it to you this way. People will die of chronic loneliness sooner than they will cat hair in the soup. Which means... Put aside the fear. Put aside, put aside the fear and exercise your faith in a way that invites people in. Not only tell them that you believe in God, show them that you believe in God by inviting them in. Invite them in. And I love this because we were tearing down last week. And I had someone, we were, we were over here, we were doing the pipe and drape. And I was talking to them about the week and they said, this was the question that they said. They said, if we are family, shouldn't we see people outside of Sunday? If we are family, if our vision at Generation Church is to expand the family of God, that means we got to see each other outside of one hour a week. And I love that. Because this is a couple in our church who didn't just ask that question rhetorically, but lives that out practically. They invite people into their home. And they know that they may not always have the prettiest space, that, that, that there may be kids running around. But at the end of the day, the purpose of being family and watching God work in their life is much more important than a perfect home setup.
So that's hospitality. Living, living, opening people up to your life. And it has to go to work as well. I don't know about, like, about you, but sometimes I get into that workspace where it's all about achievement and purpose, where I set everything aside and, and get, get very driven and get very focused on a task. And when people only see you in that workspace, they only see a part of you. So I would challenge you is to say, who is someone in your place of work where they only know you as maybe a go-getter or someone who's, who's after the purpose? Help them bridge that gap so that they can see the power of God in your life. Because when they're able to see that, maybe they're able to get a better picture of why you do what you do in your place of work. Let me go to, go to play because I think this is one of the more challenging ones. For many of us, our time of leisure or our hobbies are a place of escape. It's a place where we can kind of distance ourselves from others. It's, it's we don't have to worry about the pressures and stress of the world because I'm just doing what I enjoy doing. And it's all about you and refreshing, and there's a time and place for that. But at the same time, what would it look like to invite someone into that? To come into that space again so that they can learn more about you. Maybe you enjoy golfing. Maybe you enjoy playing video games. Maybe it's you like to go to a park and you can invite others along with you. To begin to see our place of play, our hobbies, not as a place of escape, but as a place and an opportunity for community. When we see that and we just demonstrate that, what we begin to show the world is that no matter where we live, where we work, and how we play, that God's presence is there with us. And the power of God is there with us. And it's not just relegated to an hour on Sunday morning or to a Bible study midweek, but it's present wherever two or three are gathered because there together we can be gentle. We can nurture, we can comfort, we can encourage. We can direct others to our focus. And that's Jesus. And when we erect barriers between these, we prevent others from seeing our lives and how it's being transformed by Jesus. So those who are not following Jesus, they need to see that there's not a level of inconsistency, but there's actually consistency. And we are growing in Christ's likeness to see genuine acceptance from us, to see genuine love, to experience someone who, who is passionate about the truth and the way of Jesus but also to see that being made in the image of God is a higher calling, bestowing greater dignity than inventing your own rules for faith and life. Meaning that you're not making this stuff up, that you don't have a set of rules that you play by when you're at work, you don't have another set of rules that you, that you play by when you're, when you're doing hobbies, and then another set of rules at home, but that there's consistency because the power of God is transforming every aspect of your life. And they begin to see devotion, a level of blamelessness, and a level of righteousness or justice, as Paul describes that the Thessalonian believers saw in his life. And they knew that Paul's message was true because his life was shared over time in proximity to others. And we do this. We open our lives to others because Jesus opened his life to us. We open our lives to others because Jesus opened his life to us. Rather than always being prescriptive, do this, don't do that. 
We open up our lives so that others can observe how God is at work. And allow, us to see the, allow others to see the descriptive aspects of our lives. It's that this is what needs to be read. And we prepare others to experience the goodness of God's family. That, that we are a church, that we are a people who go into our everyday lives, not as a disconnected family, but as a unified family where every day we have a focus. And that focus is to live like Jesus. And that's why in our vision, we say, because of Jesus. And when people observe your life, do they see that devotion, that justice, that blamelessness? And this is different than perfection. For all of these is a life directed to God rather than self. Wherever Paul went, however Paul conducted himself, the focus never changed. We want to be a people that expand the family by being the picture of God's family every day. Paul helped people readjust their focus. Let's be a people that help others readjust their focus. And so let me, as I share those three aspects of life, some of you have a little reservation. You're like, yeah, God, don't, don't touch that area. That, that area is off limits. I just want you to write that area down right now. An area of life that you feel like is off limits, that, that maybe, maybe you don't want it to be off limits, but you, you feel that tug. I just want you to circle it. And I want you to pray this week that you surrender, as the song we just sung a little bit ago, that you surrender that area of your life to Jesus. That you give that over to Him so that you can express the power of God in that area. Because as you allow the power of God to be expressed in that area, you encounter people. And as you meet people, these people will become, go from strangers and makes them neighbors, and it, makes, it meets neighbors and makes them family. And when we meet people where they're at in the everyday things of life, God's family is expanded. And we want to enlarge the table. We want God's family to be expanded. And it's not through me preaching better sermons. It's not necessarily through better worship. It's through you all living your faith every day, refocusing and focusing on Jesus. So that's what Paul did. He met people as strangers and made them neighbors, met neighbors and made them family. And that's what God has done for us. So let's respond to that good news together. That God has met you where you are at, wherever you find yourselves. He has seen you as a stranger and made you friend. And has taken you from being friend to becoming family. So let's rejoice in that together. I'm going to pray and Damien's going to come up and lead us through our response time. And I would just ask that as you surrender the area of your life, as you, we look to Jesus in this time, that you ask God to open your heart to which area, other area of your life you've shown as off limits so that the power of God can be present in that area of your life and others can be welcome and see and experience God's family. So let me pray. God, I just know in my own soul and my own heart that there's the yeah, what abouts or the ifs 
or the no, don't touch that. God, right now, I just pray that we respond to you opening your life for us, that you lay down your life for us. God, that we don't try to pretend, that we don't try to manufacture something that's not there. God, that we just let go, that we refocus, and we help others focus on you and experience that as we live, work, and play. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.